It's good to see y'all, New City Church. How I hope y'all are doing well this morning. Uh, my name is AJ. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City Church, and I just want to say welcome. If this is your first time, I am so excited that you are here to join us as we continue our summer journey through the Psalms. Uh, we're praying through the Psalms, uh, going through the peaks and valleys of life. And so today we're in Psalm 5. Uh, we'll be going all the way through Psalm 8 this summer. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you have them today, turn them on. Um, as you're finding Psalm 5, I want to remind you or announce to you, depending on uh, how you've been here this summer, we're going to two services, August 13th. Man, the excitement is building every week. I am pumped. Uh, we are going to have two services, uh, August 13th, 9:20 uh, and 11, and I'm so excited to create space for our growing church. Uh, and so we're, one of the ways, things that we're praying for is that community comes out of that. And so one of the ways that you can really help us uh, in that is just as you're looking at your fall, man, pick a service and make that yours. I'm looking forward to seeing just community grow here at New City Church. And so uh, that's happening August 13th. More details will be coming out in that. And so today we find ourselves in Psalm 5. Uh, this is another psalm written by King David of David and Goliath, king of Israel. Uh, and David is once again finding his way in the valley. You're like, man, I thought it was peaks and valleys. I promise we're going to find a peak at some point. Uh, but today we find ourselves once again in the valley with David. And David is trying to find his way in the valley. And so as I was thinking about this week, I was reminded uh, out of the eight PE classes that I took in college, one of them was orienteering. Yeah, I, I said eight. It's okay. Ask me later. But orienteering. You may not know what orienteering is. That's okay. Uh, it's running through the woods trying to find different markers. All right, you have a map and a compass, and you run through the woods. You find these different things, and if you find them all and get out in a certain amount of time, you get an A in the class. Piece of cake, right? You run through the woods, find it, come back out. The biggest thing with orienteering, one, you got to know how to read a map and a compass, but then you got to copy the master map correctly onto your map. All right? And so if you don't, you can't find the marker. All right, I'm going to go ahead and be honest with y'all. I actually missed, messed something up on my final, and I didn't find, I didn't place it in the right spot on the map. And so during my final in the woods of North Carolina, uh, I was lost. I couldn't find the marker. And so what I needed in that moment was a way out. I needed somebody to come along and lead me out. And so I don't know about y'all, but I feel, or we can at times think, I don't need help. I don't need anybody to lead me to where I'm going. I'm going to figure it out. But I think we all really want help, though, because we listen to podcasts. We engage with influencers. We're asking for advice and all these different things. We're constantly seeking help and trying to figure out how am I supposed to navigate the peaks and valleys of life? Do I really think like deep down inside that I have the answer to every twist and turn that life is going to throw at us? And the answer is probably not. That like we probably don't think that we have the answers to every twist and turn. And so what we desperately need or desire is a map. We desire, and how do I know the way? What is the right way that I should go? And I think Psalm 5 is going to unpack that for us today. And what we're going to see is how we get through the peaks and valleys of life and how ultimately we can trust God to lead us in those. 
And so our main idea today, what we're going to walk through, is that we can trust God to lead us in the peaks and valleys of life. And so as we jump into Psalm 5, and I'm going to read it here for us in just a moment, but a little bit of context. I said it's written by King David. Uh, This is David and Goliath, king of Israel, God's appointed king, who finds himself in the valley. He's got bloodthirsty people around him, deceitful people around him, and we're actually going to wrestle with today... This is the first psalm that where David actually prays for the downfall of his enemies. And so we're going to have to, like, navigate that too, all right? So just buckle up for the next hour and a half, all right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here we go. Somebody's on board. I'm, I've got affirmation. Let's roll, all right? But what we're going to see is David is praying to see justice served on his enemies. And in this psalm, the enemies that we're gonna, he's going to be talking to is most likely in the nation of Israel. And so they've turned against David, ultimately turning against the Lord, because if you attack God's people, then you're attacking God. And so in this moment, David is asking God to respond as only he can. And we're going to see that this isn't just like some grudge that David has. He's not trying to just push somebody out. But today, on this side of the cross, we're also going to navigate how we uh, come about and interact with our enemies because of what Jesus has done for us. But we're going to see David in this psalm of lament, in this psalm of petition, meaning asking God for something, we're going to see him show us how we can trust God, why we can trust God, and also what's the result of trusting God. And so let's read Psalm 5 this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, get my king and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Man, God's word is good, y'all. And so right out the gate, we're seeing in the first few verses, David is going to petition the Lord through prayer. David is going to show us how we can actually display our faith in God to lead us. And that leads us to our first point for today, which is we rely on God in prayer. And what I really appreciate about this psalm and really all of Scripture is there's a realness to it. There's like emotions. David is crying out in this. There's experiences that we can relate to uh, even today. Because even David was experiencing a broken world, and we still do that today. There's still people who are lying. 
There's still people who are slandering and seeking to destroy and seeking to kill. There are murderers out there. And so we can actually still today be disgusted by wickedness. We want to see the wrongs righted. We want to plead for justice. And in all of these moments and others, we can think back to those times when we desperately just need help. I need somebody to show me the way. And so David's response in Psalm 5 is mirroring what we saw David's response in Psalm 4 was, is that he runs to God in prayer. Just like a child does to their parents, David calls for help, asking for God to listen. He's at the point of distress that he's asking the Lord just to consider his groanings. He's showing us that in the valleys, it's not only that we have to, we don't always have to use words when we pray, but we can pray simply by groaning our requests, that the, the requests that reside deep down in our hearts, that we're asking the Lord to consider those. I think of this like when my oldest son, Grayson, uh, when he's sick, and I feel like we're all like this, not just a six-year-old, but all of us get like this, at least I do, or my wife tells me I do. When you get like really sick, I mean like down, you're at the bottom, and like you don't even have words to tell people what's wrong. You just sit there and just let it, uh, uh, you're like, and they're like, is that like a hunger? Are you tired? Do you need medicine? Am I just supposed to sit with you? Like in those moments, I feel like Grayson is asking me, consider my groaning. Figure this out because I don't have the words to speak this in this moment. And so in that, what we see David doing as he's in the valley is he's usually, and what we see in this psalm is using his words to help us, and we do that, to help us know we are praying what we're praying for. But there's times, if we're really honest, that we just come before the Lord and we just say, God, and we just open up our hands and there's just nothing else to say. Like you're just lost for words. And this is what we're, David is asking God to consider. Consider that I have nothing to say, but you know what resides deep down in my heart because Psalm 5 is this psalm of lament where it's an expression of grief or sorrow, and David is coming to him with urgency. He's saying, give ear to my words. He's saying, give attention to my cries. There's an urgency that we're seeing David express here. But there's also a posture of expectancy. He's saying, you hear my voice. I prepare a sacrifice and I watch. He is urgent and expecting. And it, we get to see just a piece of how David comes to God in verse 2 and the intimacy and connection that he has. It says, give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. And in this, we see David address God as king. First and foremost, we see him say, my king, meaning uh, sometimes we can see that as king over all creation. The, the context here is you're the king over all of Israel. You're the one in charge here. And I'm going to plead to you because of who you are and your position as the ruler of Israel. And so it's personal. It's that you're the, you're the leader of Israel. But it goes even deeper than that and just showing honor. There's a love that David has for God and he puts it on display when he goes, My king, my God, for to you do I pray. He's saying we can approach God in a way that we can speak with truth and honesty. We can speak with love and affection. We can speak knowing that God is for us, and if he's for us, he's not against us. We can say, no, you are my God. Consider me. Hear me. And so we can open ourselves up 
to the places where we don't even have words to say and expect him to consider our groanings, to give attention to our, the cries of our heart and hear our voice when we call out to him. So my question is, how do we approach God when we're in the peaks and the valleys of life? Do we seek to talk to him personally and intimately? Because when we look at how David's talking to God, we realize this is not a prayer that is rushed or hurried, but instead is spent after taking inventory of his heart and turning those groans into prayers that come from deep inside of us. These are the prayers of a child calling out to their father who will not ignore their cries. I feel like as a dad to two boys right now, I get to cherish the moments because I know they'll be, they're fleeting. But when my boys, they like, I'm going to say it on a real conservative level, a hundred times a day, cry out to me. They say, Dad, I need something. I can't find the Lego piece. My brother's not sharing with me. I have stubbed my toe and I need help. I shared last week, I can't open the water bottle. Like, I need help. I, there's a constant, like, urgency with their requests. Whether big or small, it's urgent. But in that, it's also expectant. When they cry out, Dad, Daddy, they expect me to come. They expect me to do something about what is happening. And that's what we get to see David expecting of God in this moment. And so my question is, do you expect God to hear your prayers when you call to him? The even bigger question is, do you expect him to answer you? Because we see David have this expectancy here. And so we have to ask, is our posture as we come and pray, here's my, Lord, here's my list, Lord, I'll come back tomorrow, uh, and then we just go about our life. Or do you come to him, and my prayer is that you do, you come with preparation, with thoughtfulness, and you bring to him what is on your troubled heart. Do you cry out and hand things over that are deep inside of you that you just don't really want to share, but you're like, you're the only one who can I'm in the valley and I'm crying out because you are God. And so my prayer is that we're going to see, as we see later in our, in our psalm, that we see God as a refuge, that we run to him and call out to him, not just in the peaks but in the valleys. And so David's going to model for us today that as we pray, as though it all depends on the Lord, because if we're really honest, it does. Because he says, for to you do I pray. And he's just in that showing the utmost confidence in the Lord. He's saying, I'm not turning anywhere else. He says, for to you I pray. And I, I love how verse 3, it's kind of this transition where David's done praying. Do you see what he does? He watches and waits on the Lord. Oh Lord, verse 3 says, Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So do we wait on the Lord after we pray to him? After we give him our request or do we give it to him and then go try and handle it? And I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of being like, uh, it's almost football season, so here we go. Um, it's like the quarterback who drops back and throws the pass He's like, all right, that's like lifting up a prayer. And what do you do? He like takes off down the field trying to catch it. Like, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of everything. 
It's like I display the trust, but actually know I'm going to come catch it. Is that how we act with our prayer lives and with our lives? Because what David does is he displays trust in the Lord as he prays. Now, yes, hear me. We are to do good. We are to do the Lord's work. We are to walk in righteousness. But in that same instance, we have to display this trust in God. And so what we then ask is where does this trust come from? And we're going to see that in the next seven verses of this psalm where David can be confident in his prayers and he can display trust in the Lord to lead him wherever he goes. And so we're going to look at, number two, why God is trustworthy. And in looking at God, why God is trustworthy, we're going to see four characteristics of God um, in this point. And so we're going to see that God is holy and God is loving. God is just and God is gracious and merciful. And I'm going to be really honest with you. We're about to like really wade into some like deep theological waters. And I have wrestled with this. I have met, I've just like sat in this all week. And I feel like I'm going to hopefully like lead us through these waters. But you maybe, after I'm done, have all these questions. And I'm going to say that is okay. Because I'm not going to turn over every little facet here. And I'm going to say if you have questions, walk, with, walk in those questions with somebody. These are great things to wrestle with, the, the characters, the aspects of God. And I want you to walk with it. Walk through it with somebody. If you're like, I don't have anybody, just come talk to me. And I'll point you to somebody who knows. Okay? But in that, I want to help you walk through these. And so uh, the first thing that we're going to see, though, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. And we're going to see that God is holy and righteous. That's the first thing we're going to see in our psalm is that God is holy and righteous. Verse 4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Piece of cake, right? Like we're just going to just move on. Just kidding. But what we see in these verses is God's holiness and righteousness on display. And I just want to take a few moments to show how these two things work together and give David and even us today the utmost confidence in God. Because we see, God, we see David trusting God in the valleys. And I think for us today, that's what we need to be able to do is to trust God in the valley, trusting in his holiness and his righteousness, knowing that his trials come, knowing that suffering comes. We know who God is and how trustworthy he is in those valleys. Because when we say that God is holy, what we are saying is that God is set apart. God is separated from all that is not God. He is, a he is in a class absolutely by himself. He is uniquely and infinitely valuable. God being holy means that he is above all things and that he is perfect in every way. Nothing can stand in comparison to God because he is holy. We, we cannot miss this. We see in our psalm that it says, evil may not dwell with you, God. There is nothing wrong. There is nothing bad. There is nothing evil that comes from the Lord or resides with him. If there was, then he wouldn't be set apart and he wouldn't be worthy of worship. And so God's holiness is seen in his intrinsic worth, his beauty and value and just the excellency of God. And this is put on display in his glory. 
His holiness is displayed to us in his glory. That's why in Isaiah 6, 3, we see the angelic being saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. God being holy is seen and on display with his glory. And God is about his glory because God is about what is true. It is about what holds, God is about what is good and what holds the most value. And what is good and holds the most value is the Lord. So God is about God's glory. You may have heard it said that the chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. Is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We can also say that the chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God is about himself and because he is holy, God would not be holy if he wasn't about himself because there is nothing greater than God. I know we're like deep in it now. Like heads are swimming. I get it. All right. I got a script up here. Praise the Lord. Okay. But in this, in this, we get to praise the Lord because he is set apart. We get to witness his holiness through his glory and know that God will do what brings him glory. Dwelling with evil will not bring him glory. Having evil reside within him will not bring him glory. Delighting in evil will not bring him glory. Any of those things will actually make him unholy. He will not be set apart. He will be more like us. And so when we get to a verse like verse 5 where it says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. I hope that in this moment it gives just a little bit of context to how we can read this. Because you read that and it doesn't compute. It, it goes against what we constantly hear, that God is love in that. We, we know John 3, 16, that God so loved the world. But here in verse 5, it says you hate the evildoer. Well, what is going on? And so what we see this verse saying is that God hates those whose lives are marked by sin. It is a hate, and it is hard to even say at times, but it's a hate that detests those whose lives are marked by sin and not by righteousness. But if we realize that God is about his glory and what is right and what is true, then first five must ring true. That God can't have evil dwell with him. God hates those whose lives are marked by sin because sin resides in them. And that's who God is. That's God's holiness. But I, you, you don't move too fast from it, but you also move to it. The beauty of the gospel that God gives us a way to be freed from our sin. Let us not miss this, that though we may still sin, if we believe in Jesus, if we trust in him and confess our sins to God, 1 John 1, 9, I love this verse, that he says he is faithful and just to forgive us. He doesn't just leave us there, but right now in Psalm 5, where we find ourselves is God is being righteous. That means he's going to punish what goes against him. And so we can't have just the loving God. We know we need the holy God. We need the God who is going to also act righteously. And that's why we see in verse 6, it says, You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Y'all, God is about his glory and his holiness. In his holiness, he must act righteously. He is righteous in that he has an unwavering commitment to the highest standard imaginable, himself. 
his glory. And so when God acts in righteousness, he is acting for his glory. And in doing that, he proves himself trustworthy to lead us. Because God will always do what is good. God will always do what is righteous. He will always act in that manner. He will not tolerate sin. Does God hate the evildoer? Yes. But, and here's the paradoxical thing, he also loves them. And so sometimes it's like, God, your ways are not my ways, and I don't understand it all, and I'm going to trust you. I get that. But what we see here is that, yes, God is holy and acts righteousness, righteously. But our psalm also reminds us, our second subpoint, the second reason why we can trust God is that is because God is loving. All of this goes together. We don't separate them. And so we see in our passage that God hates the evildoer. He must because he's about all that is good and sin is not good. And so we see in Scripture, too, that no one is righteous, no, not one. None of us can stand before the Lord. As verse 5 said, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. And so this, though, is what makes God's love for us all the more radical. It's what makes God's love just so stunningly beautiful. Because even though, if, we're, if we read this, God finds us hateful, and loathsome and ugly in our sin he came to us and said though I'm repulsed by you and which is like that's hard to say in here he says in that I want to save you from it you bear my image and I want to rescue you and he says that to each and every one of us let us not miss that we were enemies of God and he said I see you as my enemy and I want to rescue you from the destructive path that you're on I want to rescue you from death to life. I want to bring you into my house. I want to wash you clean. I want to take the crimson, bloodstained sin that you have, and I want to wash it white as snow. Y'all, he wants to take off the filthiness of sin, and he just wants to clothe us in his righteousness. That's how much he loves us. And so in that, we get a taste of that in Psalm 5 verse 7 where it says but I speak David speaking through the abundance of your steadfast love speaking of the Lord will enter your house I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you y'all God through the abundance of his steadfast love because of his steadfast love allowed David a sinner to enter into his house and David's response in that was to bow down in worship and fear the Lord and this wasn't like a fear and trembling I'm afraid no it's in it's an awe like he's just so in awe he's fearful in this moment he says how in the world can I stand before your glory you have infinite power you have infinite glory he's humble that he gets to come and dwell in the house of the Lord he gets to come into the God of Israel and worship him he is dwelling there all of his days and so with that we've talked about with David you may be like but David's a sinner like the past three psalms we've had to look at, like David, you've messed up. Like you've dropped the ball. In this psalm, he calls people liars. He says, well, excuse me, he says, you're lying, you're wicked, you're boastful, you're murderer, and you're a deceiver. And so did David walk into the house of the Lord and he goes, I'm here, Lord, in all of my goodness. I get to stand before you. That, that, no, that's not what David says. He says, no, because of your abundant, steadfast love. What we know, though, is that David, what he did is he lied. 
He's, he was wicked. He was boastful. He murdered. He deceived. He did all these things that he's accusing his enemies of doing. And so the only way that David is able to come into the house of the Lord is because of God's abundant, steadfast love. And the fact that God desired to be with his people. We know that God desired to be with his people because in the Old Testament we saw him set a people apart. He said, you've been marred by sin, but I'm going to make a way for you to be with me. I'm going to give you priests, and I'm going to give you a sacrificial system. I'm going to give you eventually, even though it's not great for you, I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to give you prophets to remind you of what I've told you. I'm going to give you the law. And we see that this type of love that God has is not just a delighting in qualities, what we normally think of when we think of love. Like, oh, you have something great, and I love you for that. But, but we don't have any. We can't stand before the Lord. We can't bring anything to him. And so what type of love that God has, this is, this is sweet right here, is that the love is an intense intentionality to bless, to redeem even in spite of our sin. That's the type of love that God has for us. And this is why we can trust the Lord to lead us because he loved us even when we were rebelling against him. His love knows no bounds. His love, when he welcomes us in and blesses us in those moments, then gets the shift to delight in us. He doesn't start there because we're marked by sin. But once we trust in him and he washes us clean, he's like, I can now delight in you. I love that scripture tells us that we can please the Lord. That's mind-boggling to me. But he displays his love by giving us the greatest gift ever to be given, the thing that is set apart, the thing that is above all things, he gives us himself. And the way that he shows his love to us is not withholding himself, but giving us himself. And so what did he do? He gave, he brought David into the house to dwell with him. Y'all, today, God isn't bringing us necessarily into a house. He's not bringing us into a palace as we follow him. No, he loved us so much that he sent his own son for us. Jesus came and rescued us. God made a way for us to be with him forevermore through his son, Jesus Christ, and who lived the life that we were supposed to live, a life not marked by sin, as we've talked about, because our sin separates us from God. But in living the life we were supposed to live, he then went and died the death that we deserved. Jesus willingly went to die a brutal death on a Roman cross. Jesus willingly took the punishment for all of our sins, wiping them away. In this moment on the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God because God had to punish the sin. He had to punish because he's holy and he has to act righteously. But through Jesus, he was able to save us. He was able to rescue us. And we get to see what great love the Father has for us. That a love, if I, and I truly believe this, if we sit and ponder, of it, ponder it just a little bit, it becomes overwhelming. The love that God has for us. Because we see that not only God is loving and he's holy, and righteous but we see through Jesus that God is also just and we can trust God because he does not change he remains committed to his glory we see God is holy and righteous but 
And in that, he must be against what is evil, and evil must be dealt with. We see this in our psalm. God would not be loving if he allowed sin just to go unpunished. And this is hard to wrestle with, but our psalm shows us in verse 9. David is almost setting up to God. He's saying, I want them to bear their guilt and be cast out because, look with me at verse 9, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Man, they're about destruction. The open grave is just death reeking all over. They flatter. They're they're deceiving people. And David in this moment is calling out to God. He's praying to God to move because those are his enemies are seeking destruction against the people of God. And we've said before, if you're attacking the people of God, you're attacking God. And said God is calling, David is calling upon God to act and display his holiness and let others see his glory. And then we get to verse 10 where it says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. He is calling for justice to rain down because these people are going against the Lord. We said earlier this was the people in the nation of Israel, and they're not acting according to the ways that God has set, but instead they're rebelling against God and his people. And so in this, David is not holding a grudge. He's not trying to push that person out that he just doesn't like. No, this is much bigger. And David is not trying to orchestrate his own vengeance or his own will. No, David is saying, I know who you are, Lord. You are holy. And God, in faith, I'm coming to you because of your great love. Because you are holy and set apart, I am going to submit my plans and my desires for justice because your way is better. Your love is better. And so we can read something like that and you're like man does the Lord destroy and so in this moment as I looked into this because you know you just have to wrestle with these things what we see is that in these moments there was no repentance there was no turning back to the Lord that God is just upon his sin because he's righteous and holy and he's about all that is good but in those moments he's not doing this because he just enjoys it but because of who he is and how fully just in the same way that he's fully loving and that's something we have to wrestle with and, and begin to dive into because justice, what we're seeing here, belongs to the Lord. And David is asking for God to affirm his commitment to his people and who he is by demonstrating it for others to see. And I, I, I think we can say we want God's glory to be on display here this morning. And so do we pray for the downfall of our enemies? Do we pray for destruction and for them to be cast out? And I say we need to remember that God's justice is not separated from his love. That God is the one who will punish sin, but he's also the one who loved us immensely. Our role is not about to punish or bring about vengeance. No, it's instead because we are recipients of that great love, we are now to go share that love with others. Justice belongs to the Lord. Now, do I want justice to reign right now? Do I want things, wrongs to be righted? Yes, but I also and more desperately know I want people to know the love of God. I don't sacrifice that, but I want you to know the love of God. And this is a tension that we have to hold because of who God is. He is abundant in his love. He is full of mercy and grace because he has shown us rich mercy, not giving us what we deserve, which is eternal separation from him. But he's also abundant in his grace, giving us undeserved favor and ultimately giving us himself. 
And this is the final reason in our second point why we can trust God to lead us. And that is because God is gracious and merciful. Because what we know about Psalm 5 is it was sung corporately for others to hear. And God in his kindness wanted to show those who were walking in evil, walking in sin, what would happen to them if they continue going. He says, what's coming because of verse 9 is coming in verse 10. Destruction will come, but he doesn't want them to perish. He wants them to be led back to himself. And so God's intention with those who bear his image is to draw them back to himself and make a way for them to hear about what lies ahead. God is essentially laying out a map for those people who are lost and wandering back to himself. And so we get to see our third and final point for today, where God leads us. Because in that, we get to have confidence knowing that the Lord is leading us ultimately back to the greatest thing there is, and that is himself. Look with me at verse 8 where it says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David is calling out to God to lead him in God's righteousness. Make your ways, God, my ways, is essentially David saying, Your ways are better than my ways. He knows that the ways of the enemy are fraught with destruction and disappointment and hurt and pain. And he says, no, I want to go where we see in verse 11, where all rejoice. Verse 11 says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. He's saying, let all who take refuge in the Lord rejoice. He wants them to know that there is joy abundantly in the Lord. There is rejoicing because the Lord is ultimately leading us back to himself. And we get to know that we have the ultimate gift, God himself. And God gives us himself. And he, in doing that, he is showing us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We get to see David call out to God to make his way clear because he desperately wants to follow the Lord and he knows that his enemies are going to make it hard, that there will be trials, there will be hardship, and he wants to know which way are the Lord's. He doesn't want to be unsure. He says, make your way straight before me. David is essentially saying, show me the map. Lead me in your ways. I mentioned that I was in my orient orienteering class in my final and I copied that wrong. Y'all remember that, right? AJ's lost in the woods. Uh, I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. Uh, and in that moment, uh, uh, a classmate like ran by. I was running this way. She ran that way. I said, that's not a good sign because we're at like the end of the map. Um, and so in that moment, she was gracious and she stopped. And she was like, why are you going this way? And I was like, the marker. And she goes, no, it's this way. And I was like, wait a sec. She says, this is the way that you want to go. I needed somebody in that moment to lead me along the way. We walk through life similarly seeking to find a way to do right, to do good, to live that happy life. But what we find is the map that we normally go off of isn't correct. The map that we normally go off of leads us down the path of destruction. It leads us to rough waters and places where truth is not found. But what God has done is when we were lost and wondering, he sent his son, Jesus. When Jesus came and sought us while we were lost, dead in our sin. Jesus came and sought us when we didn't even realize that we were lost. 
While I was in the woods running around, I didn't know I was, I mean, I had a hunch, but I was like, I don't know this is the right way. And I was so thankful that she said, this is the way you're looking for. She's, Jesus has done that for us. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. No one, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we come to him and receive the free gift of salvation, we can be led by him. Jesus takes us to the Father and we are forevermore with him, being led by him. We sing for joy, as it says in verse 12, because we are now with God. We get to rejoice knowing that we've been given the greatest gift. And you may be here today and you're like, I've never received this gift. I'm here to let you know God just offers it up freely because of his great love for you. You don't bring anything. He just says, trust in me, believe in me, and he will welcome you into his house forevermore. And we get to see in verse 12, it says, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. How sweet it is to know is if we follow the Lord, if we walk in his ways, in his righteousness, he just blesses us. And I'm not saying it's all earthly blessing and it's all sunshine and rainbows, but the greatest blessing that we can have is having a relationship with the Lord and he's gonna give us that for now, for today and tomorrow and forevermore. I love that the way this is written, and I'm not gonna parse out the Hebrew and all that, but it's just an ongoing blessing. It's not meant to stop. And he's going to cover us from the attacks of the enemy today and tomorrow and forevermore. And in doing so, he is going to be our shield. He is the one who is going to lead us in righteousness. He is the one who leads us in this life back to himself. And eventually we find ourselves with him for the rest of eternity. That is where he leads us. He leads us back to himself. And we have the privilege now as followers of Christ, if we've trusted in him, we get the privilege to be that for others. You get to be like my classmate who saw somebody running the wrong way, off the map. And in that moment, see them and know where that path leads. And in that moment, say, let me show you another way. Let me show you the way that leads to righteousness. Let me show you the way that leads to the Lord. And that's what we get to do today, church. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore until he calls us home. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for being holy and righteous, for being loving and set apart. God, we thank you that you were just and gracious and merciful. God, you are lovely. And so today, Lord, I pray that as we walk through the peaks and the valleys that we would trust in you that you, we just truly lean into you, Lord. We trust you to lead, uh, lead us in the path of righteousness, to make your way straight before us, Lord. And God, let us walk. Let us walk in the blessing of the Lord. Let us walk and see that you are good. Let us walk and see, God, that you are holy and love us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.